0: We have two interviews for you today. Neither of which are specifically about Ohio State sports, but they are two interesting Buckeyes, and I think fascinating people always make for good podcasts. We have an actor, and we have a space scientist. The first interview you're going to hear is with Otis Winston, who is a former Ohio State basketball player, a former Ohio State high jumper, and he is now an actor, and he is in the movie Plane, which is out right now in theaters, starring Gerard Butler. If you have seen the movie, Otis is the guy in charge of the prisoner who brings him on the plane. If you have not seen the movie, when you go see it, Otis is the guy in charge of the prisoner who brings him on the plane. So this is a movie with not a huge cast. And Otis Winston, who lives in the Columbus area, who is a two-sport athlete at Ohio State and has been doing this acting thing, well, over a decade plus now. He's in the new Shazam sequel that's coming out in a couple weeks. He was in the Venom sequel that came out a couple years ago. He was in a mini series called Mike uh, on streaming about Mike Tyson. And this plane movie is a big deal for him. So we talked about acting. How do you get to be an actor? He doesn't live in California. He doesn't live in Hollywood. He makes his acting career out of central Ohio. How do you go from an Ohio state athlete to a professional actor who's now on the big screen? I'm fascinated. I think it's a great conversation. I know you're going to like it. Listen to Otis Winston. Second part of this podcast, equally as fascinating in a completely different way. It's James Bullock. He is a space scientist. He is someone who uh, was involved with the Webb Telescope, which is how James and I hooked up. He's also an Ohio State grad, and he is a Buckeye Talk listener. And so the Webb Telescope had some pictures of the universe that came out a couple months ago. And I was like, holy moly, Nathan and I were talking about it. I was like, look at these pictures. And James got in contact and was like, oh yeah, I listened to Buckeye talk. And I uh, had something to do with that. He um, was part of a committee that was charged with sort of like figuring out what they wanted to do with the information from the James Webb telescope. He was the chair of the James Webb Space Telescope Users Committee. And so James is just like you. He loves Ohio State sports, except he's not just like you because he studies the universe all the time. He's not just like me. So we had a half an hour conversation about life in the universe. I did ask him if there's aliens out there. I asked him where we are in the study of space. How far along are we? What what else is, is coming down the pike? And this is a guy who loves Ohio State football. So we have Otis, who was involved in Ohio State sports. We have James, who's a dedicated follower of Ohio State sports. And then in the rest of their lives, they're super Interesting. So here in the off season, this is worth it. It's the actor and the space scientist, two half hour interviews. I will be very surprised if you don't find this interesting. So if this is you're like ah, it's not football, we'll get back to it. Our plan is to have a really good Kyle McCord podcast probably on Wednesday. We'll get back to football. Combine's coming next week. Plenty of football. Plenty of football. We got our defense. Ryan Day area defense draft later this week. But this is worth it. So we're going to start off with Otis. And then we will go into James. We appreciate you guys for being here. And we're so grateful that Otis and James both took time out of their day to join us here on Buckeye Talk. So first up, Otis Winston from the movie Plane, among other things, here on Buckeye Talk. Pleasure to be joined now by Otis Winston. Ohio State athlete, father, actor living such an interesting life, and sometimes you just like having interesting people on Buckeye Talk. Otis, thanks so much for joining us here.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: So Otis, you are in a big release movie, Plane, starring Gerard Butler, that is out right now. I would direct everybody to it. I saw it recently. We'll get into your background a little bit. You're a former basketball player at Ohio State, an Ohio State basketball captain, a former track athlete at Ohio State, but- I'm just so fascinated about this career that you have made for yourself because are you currently recording this podcast interview from Hollywood? I believe the answer is no, correct? The
1: answer is no. I'm actually at home in um, um, Ohio. So
0: how do you do this? You are in plane. You are in a major motion picture and you have made this career for yourself How do you create an acting career from Ohio? How have you done this?
1: Man, first and foremost, I always say by the grace of God, you know, yep. I really believe when I started going after it, you know, people told me it couldn't happen. And I wanted to, to grow where I was planted and where I was planted is is Ohio. You know, it's a it's the rat race out in L.A. and in Atlanta and in New York. You know, you're constantly hustling, bustling. Um, my hustle is a little different. You know, I got to get on the Internet. I got to get on on uh, my emails. I got to send out emails. I got to make phone calls. You know, um, not only have I done it from Ohio, I've done it from Ohio without an agent for the past 12 years. So it's been very interesting, but it is doable. You just got to have the fortitude and the, and the per- persistence to be able to do it. You know, I've, I have a great circle around me, like when I have to leave, you know, I know things are still taken care of at home. So that is the key. You got to make sure that who's in it with you understands your walk, because if if the person you're with don't understand your walk, there's no way in the world you can make it possible.
0: So how did this one happen? How did you get this part in playing? What was the first step? Is this an open call where you see, hey, they're casting for this movie with Gerard Butler and I'm going to throw my name in there? How did you initially throw your hat in the ring?
1: Well, actually, it's an interesting story. And, and the first thing is this is my second film with Gerard. I did Greenland with him. So this is our okay. second film together. Um, but how do I, how I got playing is I booked Venom 2. When I did Venom 2, Let There Be Carnage, there was a guy on set. His name is Jim Churchman. Um, Jim Churchman, um, is a stuck coordinator and My um, um, mentor, um, big brother by the name of Casey Hoddenfield, he called me, said, Hey, there's this role um, that I would love for you to um, audition for, for Venom. And he told Jim about it. And Jim was like, Okay, here we go. A friend won his friend to do this part. We don't know if he's going to be any good or not. And when I did it and ended up filming, they really, really liked me. Um okay. this was the second film with Tom Hardy and With venom So Jim really 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 liked me and when I got done with my scene there, Jim asked me, he was like, "Yo, um do you need to go home right now?" He was like, "Do you, would, would you mind staying around and then just being around set and meeting some more of the guys?" I was like, "Absolutely." So I did that and then I came home, Jim texts me um a few months later. He's like, "Hey, I got this part. I would love for you to read I said, absolutely. And I read for it. I booked it. And that's how I got it. One film led to another film. I always tell people work begets work, but you got to be good at what you do. And you got to be humble and you got to be nice to people. Yeah. Let's say about the butthole, Jim never would have talked to me. I okay. wasn't. A butthole. I was a good guy on set. I did my job and I did. I went above because somebody, one of his stunt guys, ended up leaving and they didn't have someone to drive a car. And he says, hey, would you mind driving this car for me? I said, absolutely. He's like, you'll do it? I was like, yeah. And that led to a friendship, and that's how it happened.
0: Wow. Okay, I need that advice. Be nice to people. I'm not so great at that. Be nice to people while you're good at your job, and it creates other opportunities. So when you're performing a role, Otis, you then, obviously, you want to do the best you can for that role. You want to nail it. You want to be professional. You want to be a great actor. But you know that if I do well here, that's the best way to book my next gig is by coming through with the one I'm doing right now.
1: The best way to book your next gig is by being present in the moment, being good at what you do. And like I said, I really believe for me, it's my personality. I'm I'm an outgoing person. I try to speak to everybody. I speak to everybody from the cameraman to the wardrobe to makeup. I form relationships with people and people don't understand relationships is what makes this world goes round. So me forming relationships with all these different people is what has kept me working for 12 years. You know, um, I got good friends that are makeup artists. I got good friends that are um, wardrobe um, people. I got good friends that are DPs. So that's how it works. You have to form relationships and step out of your comfort zone. Okay.
0: You've referenced this, What the, the work you've done. You're an actor. You also are, have this stunt ability, mm-hmm. right? What does that do for you? Because having seen Plane, there there's some physical things that are happening there. Did you do the things that happened in Plane? Were you doing those stunts or was someone else doing those stunts? Was, you, get
1: th- you get thrown course. around a little
0: bit. I don't want to give the movie away. You yes. get thrown around a little bit there.
1: I got thrown around a lot of bit. <laughs> it was actually me. So the way I market myself is if I don't do my own stunts, then they have to hire another guy to come and do my stunts for me. So the way I market myself is I'm an actor that that can do his own stunts. So they don't have to worry about hiring anybody because I do my own stunts. So I put myself I think at the front of the line. Um Chris Hemsworth, he does a lot of his own stunts. So that's what makes him so like um high above so many of the mm-hmm. other people because he's doing a lot of the grunt work. Tom Cruise do a lot of his own stunts, you know. So I want to be that guy who can who can do the grunt work, you know, because you appreciate it more.
0: Yeah. And it is. They're getting two for one. Yeah, They're getting banged yeah. for the buck out of you because you're able to do both things. Absolutely, and that idea that makes sense to me. How did you come to that? Were you first? Did you first in your career see yourself as an actor and then realize, hey, I can do the stunts as well? Or did you start off as a stunt man who then said, hey, by the way, I can act? How did it? Mm-hmm. How did it work for you?
1: I started off as an actor. My very first gig was um, a speaking role on a TV show called The Game. Um, a good friend of mine um, by the name of Robbie Reed casted me for that. And my next role was a movie called Oz the Green Powerful. And that's the role, I believe, that changed the trajectory of my life because I was I got hired on as an extra. Um, we were the, the Winkies, you know, the tall OEO guys. And, and to me, all tall guys because I have rhythm, I know how to do certain things. I thought, Everybody knew how to march. So we had to learn how to march. And a lot of these guys didn't know how to march. So um, one day I stayed late and I was helping the other extras learn how to march. Um, What people fail to realize is I was spending more money to be in this movie than what I was making. As an extra, I was only making like $106 a day. So I was spending more money as an extra than, than what I was making. But that day where I stayed late and I helped all the guys learn how to march, um, a guy by the name of Casey Hoddenfield saw me and he asked me what I was doing. I was like, yo, um, we have our big scene tomorrow. I want to make sure we know what we're doing. He was, uh, he was like, where's the choreographer? I said she left early. He said, so you took it upon yourself to stay here and help. I said, Absolutely. And one thing led to another. He said, hmm, I had no idea who he was. I came in the next day, um, and Casey introduced me to um, a guy by the name of Scott Rogers. They needed a, a little stunt for it, and they had everybody run up this hill. I was the first one to get up to the hill. And they was like, yo, we're going to bump these guys up to stunts. And then after that, they bumped me up to um, a speaking role, and that's how I started.
0: Okay. Dual threat. Dual threat and the extra mile,
1: the extra mile. You extra can see miles. this is
0: good advice for people, man. This is good That's life great. advice.
1: Because you never know who's watching you. Even when I was a computer, when I was a software um, um, computer consultant, when I worked at National City, I ended up meeting the CIO and I asked him if I could shadow him. Everyone thought I was crazy. They're like, well, you don't ask the CIO if you can shadow Well, I was in tech. He's the highest that you get in tech chief information officer. So I was like, can I shadow you? He ended up saying yes. And that changed the trajectory of my um, life as a um, consultant because I went the extra mile and I put myself out there to be told no, but he told me yes. And my income changed. I take that same attitude with this acting thing. You never know who you're entertaining, but you have to go the extra mile to get to where you want to get, especially me being in Columbus, Ohio. I got to be different. I got to move. different. I have to because I'm not, you know, the old saying out of of sight, out of mind. I don't want anyone to ever think I'm out of out of mind. I want them to always think of me. So I got to make sure I'm presenting myself available to people.
0: Man. Okay. So where was Plane filmed? Where did you we were go for that? In Puerto Rico
1: for seven weeks.
0: Wow. So yeah. how long were you there yourself as part of seven that? weeks? I was in Puerto. Rico. You were Rico. there for seven weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And what was the what was the set like? Uh, you're there, obviously. I, I don't think I'm giving anything away. There are scenes on a plane in a movie called Plane. That's yeah. not. I'm, there's no spoilers there. So no. there's 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 some very action-packed scenes on this plane. What was that plane set like? Was it like, was it just basically the inside of a real plane that then you guys then filmed in, or what was it like filming that,
1: those scenes? What they did was they actually put, the set was a plane and it was on hydraulics. So the plane actually did all the tilting and all the vibrating that you will see in the movie that was actually going on. So us screaming and, and acting like we're about to die. It felt very much real because the plane was going through turbulence. They had the hydraulics. It was an amazing set, man. Our set designers were amazing on this film. Amazing. Wow. You could not. Okay. I mean, as soon as we would walk in, it was like, "Well, we're getting on Delta." <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You didn't know that it was a it was a fake fake plane. Okay.
0: Because there are some really intense things in there, and again, you. <laughs> are getting tossed around in mm-hmm. that plane. What was that that stunt like? How how dangerous is that? Again, your body is being thrown. What do you have to do to prepare and execute a stunt like that? Are you wired up? Do they do they have you in there in a way so that like your your body's not getting actually thrown around quite as much? How do you do it?
1: Well it's actually is I was on a wire and they call it a dead man's fall. So they the wire pull propelled me for it. I hit. But when I fall, when I fail, that was my whole body just falling to the ground. The way we did it, we, we had rehearsals probably um, once a week. The rehearsals are really, really not as grueling because you got all the pads. You know, you're landing on the pads. But on day of, you can't put no pads there. So you put your pads on, you put your um, gator back on and you just prep for it. And what I tell people all the time, it's about being athletic. The one thing that I was born with is the grace and the ability to be athletic and being able to control my body as a part of being athletic. So that really, really helped me knowing how to make my body move when I'm jerked and go with it. So it was fun. It was it was it was grueling, but it's fun. Now, the higher I go, the less grueling stunts I would probably want to do for myself. But I still love the fact it's almost like game time. I still love the fact of being there.
0: How many takes do you do for a scene like that when you're being tossed around like that to that extent because this is a critical, crucial part of the film when you guys Absolutely. are in that plane.
1: We did that when I think we did like four takes, okay four, four to five okay. takes, um and you just, just, so we'd
0: see that have to be you can't do fifty takes of people's well, bodies being tossed around,
1: right? It depends what the stunt is. Like you'll do 50 takes of because stunts are 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 people fail to realize stunts are the, the little things that you don't pay attention to. Stunts can be running, stunts can be I remember we just did Shazam um too. Um and when we was doing that, we had to it's one scene where Everyone has to run, you know, and they had stunt guys in there to do that part. And And I'm not one of them. I was the actor, but I just still did my own scene. By the time we got to take 20, we were drenched, drenched because we're really running. That's a stunt. Riding a bike is a stunt. You know, it's the little things that people don't think about.
0: Yeah. Wow. OK, so then what's it like? you're doing these physical things but also you're you're acting in this movie when you have a big scene coming up and you have a scene that again it's it's a very it's sort of like a, a surprising part of the movie it's an important part of the movie you have to convey something what are you like before those scenes are you are you, do you have butterflies in your stomach are you do you do you like are you a method actor? Do you, you know, get into your character and not talk to anybody? Or are you like kind of joking around right before they say action and then you drop into the scene? What's your process for when you're getting ready to act?
1: The same as it was when I was um, an athlete. You know, once I figured out that acting and athletics go hand in hand for me, that changed my life. So I'm very much um, I'm calm. You know, I'm not nervous. I'm, I'm 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 excited because it's almost like it's game day. It's game day. So when they say yep. action, I'm I'm pumping myself up because it's game day. So I'm learning how to be athletic. I'm not just an actor. I'm an athletic af- actor. I'm an athlete. So I have to be athletic no matter what I'm doing. How I say my words, how I walk, how I move, how I prepare, how I get into character. It's all um, together. It's, it's, it all makes sense. And it comes together from the years of being an actor. I mean, Tom Cruise was an athlete. Um, Jamie Foxx, an athlete. Denzel Washington, an athlete. Tom Hanks is athletic. So it's all those things that I had to learn to put together and just just um, go by it. So
0: then when you make a movie like this, mm-hmm. when... When did you see Plane? How did you see it? And what's that moment like? And I would imagine, right? Are there scenes where, okay, I know what I did, but I don't know 100% what the editing process is, how they're going to piece it together. How curious are you about what the final film is going to be? And then where did you watch it? And what's that moment like when you see your face on the big screen?
1: It really depends. I remember before Plane, every time we would go to one of my movies, I would be nervous um, because I didn't know if it made it. My, I remember I did Independence Day Resurgence, and I had a—that was my very first speaking role in a movie. I signed the contract and everything, and my line didn't make it. You could uh. see me—you see a lot of me in different areas, but that line didn't make it. And this—and it's like it's part of the process, you know. I tell people um, I don't do it for the stage; I do it because I love it. But you still. Keep going because, you know, eventually it will make it. This movie, Plane, was the first one where I didn't have to worry about it. Um, Actually, I take it back. Mike. Mike was the first one because I did the ADR. And Plane was the second one because I made the trailer. Once I saw that I was in the trailer, I knew I made oh. it. So I'm like, oh, shoot. I'm I'm the very first face you see on the trailer. And that was kind of dope. You know, to, to understand that. And 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 so it it can be nerve wracking for actors just starting out because nothing is solidified, especially when you're a day player. See, on plane, I wasn't a day player. Day players usually the guys who can come in for a day and film and fly right back out. I was there for seven weeks, so I knew my stuff made it. I just didn't know how much of it they would have in there. OK, they had, they, okay. Had they had all of it.
0: The, they had, I mean again, this is a big chunk. There's probably, there's probably, I don't know, fifteen speaking parts in the whole movie. It's a little bit of a contained movie because mm. it's people on a plane and then they don't interact with a million different people. And you're one of those people. Like, I mean, this is not this is not, hey, there's 95 characters in here, and Otis is 79th on the list of credits. This is a pretty contained script with a specific set of people that are doing a specific thing, and you are one of those specific people, was this, when you booked this role and now having filmed this role, how do you think this fits into your career? What do you think this might open up for what's next in your career?
1: I think it opens up everything, kind of like what um, Gerard said to me, uh, as as we call him Jerry, as Jerry said to me at the um, movie premiere. That's what I forgot to tell you. I saw it in New York the night of the the movie premiere. So I went to New York for the movie premiere. That's what the first time I saw it. Oh, oh! Um, but it was it was big. So I was. This is my first film where I was top ten on the call list on the call sheet. So when you see the credits, my name is in the top ten. So yep. that's always big. You know, that's always huge when you're thinking about that. So it fits because I think kind of like what someone said. It shows me opposite of Jerry, my main scenes are with him and yep. I'm showing that I can hold my own with a great actor like that. So that makes other casting directors and directors look like, well, well, he's used to working with people like this. Even in, in Venom, my scenes were opposite Tom Hardy. So all my scenes are opposite, like great actors and Mike, my scene was op- opposite Trevante. Um, so, so, it's amazing the way God is orchestrating everything for me. You know, He's put me where I need to be, but I believe Plane is gonna launch me. Um, these last four things that I've done have been amazing—from Mike to um, SWAT to Plane, and now Shazam too. Those those four things are very, very good good shows. You know, so it puts me in a place where hopefully I get the 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 principal principal role next, um, one two on the call sheet, and that recurring role on the TV show.
0: Man, so that would be because I was going to say like, you do, I mean, you can clearly act, but you also do have this physicality, this athleticism that you're talking about, right? I -hmm. mean, what about like you know, sometimes you see like these action movies where it's like maybe there's like a super famous guy, and then he has like his his group right like you're in the whether well, it's like a predator kind of movie right there's like the the six guys mm-hmm. in the jungle tracking something down couldn't like that aren't you right there like you're in the crew like you're in it's like they there's six guys on this mission right and maybe the number one guy is like a super famous actor but then there's the rest of the crew And otis is in the crew does that feel or, or would you rather be like no I'd rather be I want to be the lead in a drama on TV like what do you have in your head of 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 what could be next for you
1: What I say every day, um, I read my vision. My vision says this. I want to work nine months out of a year, three movies a year, and one series regular on a TV show. I don't want to just do one. It's almost like when I was an athlete. I didn't just do basketball. I had to do basketball (laughs) and track. I couldn't just choose one. I can't just choose a movie when I love television as well. But do I see myself as part of that crew absolutely but can I also see myself as a lead absolutely but I know I got to build up to the lead the lead is the stage yep. part of the crew is the steps to the stage
0: yep oh man so how do you think that next thing happens is it another person that you met in the process that says hey Otis He's good, he's reliable, he's smart. Let's go. Get this guy. Is it an open call where you go wow somebody in an audition? How do you think cuz again, you're talking about you're moving up, right? You're in the top 10 now. You're in you're in scenes with Tom Hardy and Gerard Butler. How does that next thing happen, do you think?
1: Oh, it's <sighs> beam. I think it's 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 in God's hands. Do, do I do I think it can happen by audition? Just like I just got done doing a movie called Red One with um, Dwayne Rock Johnson, Chris Evans, J.K. Simmons, Lucy Liu. Um, so I just got done doing that film. I got that film through a friend that I worked on Shazam with. He, okay. he told the stunt coordinator about me. The stunt coordinator asked me to send him my demo reel. He loved my demo reel. He showed it to the director, and they brought me down. I was only supposed to be there for a week and a half. Ended up doing eight weeks on this film. Eight oh. weeks. Um, so, it, it. You right now, I'm at that place where I don't know how it's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. I just yeah. don't know how it's going to happen. It can happen through a great audition, or it can happen through someone working with me and saying, hey, he's a great guy. He's a great actor. He's always on time. I I tell people I always show up 15 minutes early when I'm going to set because on time is late to me. And when I'm done filming, I take my clothes off. I hang them back up in my trailer. I leave my trailer how I found it. I leave my trailer how I found it. I don't leave my clothes thrown out all over the place. So, Um, Costumes love me because they don't have to go up, go in, go in my trailer and pick my stuff up. It's hanging up for them the way I found it. My mom always told me, leave something the way you found it or better. That that does sound like sports, too. Like you have a team meeting. If you're
0: on time, you're late. If you're early, you're on time. Hey, like leave the locker room. Don't leave a mess everywhere. Like this sounds like athletic things. Otis, this idea of what you have become when you were a basketball player at Ohio State and a track athlete at Ohio State, and mm-hmm. you played at Ohio State from the 92-93 season through the 96-97 season. Mm-hmm. Did you think to yourself, I want to be an actor? Or how What's how did he- you go from
1: athlete to actor? Um, athletes are actors. Think about this. Oh. Think about it. You're right. I got to draw a foul. I act like I got hit when I didn't get hit. I flop. Athletes are actors. Think about if you ever watch soccer, man, they're falling all over the place half the time, being not even being touched. It's just the way it is. We have, we are natural actors. What I've learned is, um, I pretend for a living. You know, Uh, I'm I'm a big kid. I never grew up, so I just get to pretend. Did I ever think I would be this? TV has always been my safe haven. What a lot of people are starting to find out about me, when I was a kid, I stuttered and I couldn't talk until I was 11. So they told me I would never be able to properly talk. And I I would watch TV a lot. And I would get in my room and I would just sit there and I always used to say, time for the movies, folks, and watch TV by myself. That was my safe haven. I had no idea that years later, the one thing that used to, Give me peace is the one thing that gives me peace now. Me being on set for 16, 17 hours a day, I love it. When I'm not on set, I miss it. When I'm not filming, yeah. I miss it. That's where it's almost like how the basketball and the track was my sanctuary. Set is my sanctuary now. That's where I feel that that presence of God, because I'm, I'm doing what he has birthed me and created me to do. Man,
0: when you were a basketball player and a track athlete at Ohio State, why don't you just do one, man? Why did you have to do both? That seems like I, a crap. How do you even do it anymore? How was that possible?
1: I, I couldn't choose. You know, they tried to get me to choose. I couldn't. I love them both. Track was more natural. Basketball was the hard work. You see what I'm saying? So I had to work for it. And they told me I couldn't make it. They told me I couldn't do it. I remember a coach at Ohio State said that I would never play there. And I ended up being the captain of the team, starting my junior and mm-hmm. senior year. But you said I'd never play there. So when, people, when a person told me I can't do something, I show them I can. That's it. Man.
0: Yeah. Why was Ohio State the place for you, Otis? How did you, uh, what led you there first? Was it basketball first or track first or the academics course. first? What interested you in Ohio State?
1: The only place where I can do both sports, I believe. Um, and, and, and I really wasn't given, um, a lot of stuff wasn't privy to me at the time. Like I had other schools interested in me. I didn't really know about it. Um, but I'm glad I went there and now my son is there. You know, my son yeah. is there chasing, chasing his dad's 30 year record. So it's it, how poetic is that?
0: It's a little wild because your son, again, we it happened to be that your son and my daughter were at the same high school and I watched your son play a lot of basketball. And then he is also just like you. I mean he's he's a dual sport guy. He's an extraordinary high jumper and track athlete. But did it was it not true that his he started jumping out of the gym as a senior, that all of a sudden all mm-hmm. these colleges came sort of flying in for. Holy moly, Rain Winston is one of the best high jumpers in the state of Ohio. His process to get to be a high jumper at Ohio State was not exactly a straight line, right? I mean, it was a little wild at the end, wasn't it?
1: It was. It was. It was crazy because Rain now he's been jumping a full year, you know, um, but no one thought. No one thought that he was going to do that. Once he cleared 610.75, you went from having Otterbein and Cincinnati, which are great schools, looking at him. Um, His first visit was at Otterbein. After Otterbein, he went to Cincinnati. After Cincinnati, then he went to Ohio State. Then after that, you had Illinois coming in. You had um, Indiana coming in. You had UCLA calling, wanting him to come out for visits because they knew shoot, this kid is – he could be the face of high jump in a few years. Yeah. Which he really can be, which I really believe he will be because it's just – it's destined. He's doing what I never did. He's focused on one. I was – Okay. I was pulled. Okay.
0: So he – but he – was he jumping a lot before his senior year?
1: No. He jumped his was- junior year, um, didn't even make it out of districts. Okay. That was his first year ever competing. Then his senior year, he came in second in the he went to nationals and came in second. He should have won nationals. He literally should have won nationals. He came in second. The state meet was a bad meet for him. He just had a bad day. He should have been won the state meet as well. But for you to be the second in the nation in the nation. Uh, this is,
0: and and now he's chasing your high jump record at Ohio State.
1: Absolutely. He's going he to he's going to he's going to obliterate it. He's going to smash it.
0: Is this, I don't want to put too much on Rain. He's a young man. He's a freshman in college. But this path for him in the high jump that he is now just fully dedicating himself to high jump at this point in his life and already it's exploding. Are the Olympics in your head, in his head? Is that even a real? I mean, uh, you want to just be the best you can be at anything. But to me, when you are doing this, at a point when, okay, I just fully dedicated myself to high jump and look what's happened. And I remember I, I've covered the Olympics once, Otis, and I covered an Ohioan, Eric Kennard, who won the silver medal high at jump. the London Olympics in high jump in 2012. Yeah. It's like, oh, can a guy from Ohio win an Olympic medal in the high jump? It's like, yeah, it, he can. So like, what what's the what's the possibility here with an athlete like your son now that he's fully focused on high jump?
1: Well, here's the thing. I qualified for the ninety six Olympics and I was a dual sport athlete. I was down in Atlanta competing for the at the Olympic trials in ninety six and I was a dual sport athlete. Jumping seven foot four and a half went only competing for two months. Now he's competing year round and he jumps way higher than I do. Mm. My seven four and a half still is competitive till this day. Till okay. this day. He jumps higher than me and okay. he's fully vested year round. If I would have been year round learning the stuff that he's learning, all I'm saying is buckle up because I think people about to be being for something very, very special, very special. Cause this kid is a special breed. He can, he can just jump. He can just jump. Oh, and he's an amazing young man. A yay. Yeah, am Amazing young man. He's just as classy as it gets. I mean, he yeah. he's, he, he 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 makes me sit back and just smile. My, my, my kids make me sit back and just shake my head and smile like, man, those are some dope kids.
0: <laughs> I'll tell you what, man, we got to watch the Winstons. We got to keep our eye on the Winstons here. We got Rain jumping at Ohio State. We got Otis making things happen in Hollywood. I can see the smile on your face, man. This is, you don't and, and you can tell from talking with you, you're not the kind of person who takes anything for granted and is appreciative of what you got going on every day in your life professionally and personally. But man, kind of a good time for Otis Winston right now, isn't it?
1: It is. It's, it's been a long 12 years. You know, people keep saying, oh, man, you just came out of nowhere. No, I've been doing this for 12 years. I <laughs> Put in my 10,000 hours. This just didn't happen. Jamie Foxx told me a long time ago, he's never seen someone not make it who didn't quit. I just didn't quit. And I won't quit. I've never quit anything. This is what happens when you're you're one chip away. There used to be a meme going around where it was two guys in the mine. One guy was walking back with his uh, pitchfork over his shoulder and the other one was attacking with his eyes big. He had all this energy going and it was diamonds right there. The gold mine was right there. And sometimes you're just one chip away. And people tend to quit when they're one chip away. I refuse to be that person. I'm going to get everything that I feel the God said I'm supposed to have. That means if I got to keep punching, I'm going to punch until I can't punch no more.
0: Go see him in Plane. Get ready to see him in the next Shazam movie. Get ready to see him more after that. More movies, more TV stuff ahead for Otis Winston. Otis, I, I just love talking to interesting people who are doing things that most of us aren't doing. And you're <laughs> a Buckeye who's doing that right now. So we really appreciate you taking time out of your day to join us here on Buckeye Talk. And best of luck with what's next, my friend.
1: Thank you. I appreciate the time. It means a lot. All
0: right. Thanks to Otis for that. Great, great, great stuff. Now on to James. Again, he is employed by the uh, University of California, Irvine. He, well, i will give you his credentials later. I just thought it was great. I just thought this is super fun. So let's get to James talking about space here on Buckeye Talk. All right, joined on Buckeye Talk now. I don't want to besmirch, James, any other people who have appeared on Buckeye Talk, uh, but I think it's possible. I'm not even sure who the competition would be. I think it's possible you're the smartest person. Whoever have been on Buckeye Talk, so we'll we'll see how you live up to that. Uh, those lofty expectations that I've laid on you here in the first twenty minutes of the pod, twenty seconds of the podcast. But James, you are a scientist, a space a space scientist. You are a space scientist. I don't know if that's the right word for it or not, but uh, that's certainly what I would call myself if I were you. You are James Block. You're a Buckeye. And you're here because I find you and what you do fascinating. And we communicated about that and we said, man, I've I've got to have you on the pod someday. So now you are here. And James, thank you for joining us here on Buckeye Talk.
2: Thanks so much, Doug. This is awesome. I'm really happy to be here.
0: So James, tell us first about your Buckeye credentials, why you love, care about Ohio State football, why you listen to Buckeye Talk, how you got Buckeyes in your blood.
2: Well you know i i it's funny i list I just listened to the episode the Valentine's Day episode about why people love Ohio State and it's like that resonated with me so much so i'm I grew up in Ohio, my family moved to Ohio around nineteen eighty and uh you know I, I just sort of became a big Ohio state fan I grew up in Toledo, which is sort of a divided city but i I picked the right side and uh, sort of came up that way. I went to Ohio State during the Cooper era. Then I moved out to California. I went to grad school and came back and actually worked in the astronomy department at Ohio State. And that was that was right when Tressel showed up. And I was actually at that Ohio State Michigan basketball game when Tressel made the speech. And I think that's when I became a really big <laughs> Ohio State football fan. It was that that was the turn on for me in a really kind of exponential way. And so since that time, I've just been a huge, huge fan. Uh, of the Buckeyes, the football team in particular.
0: That's a great story.
2: Yeah, my my parents still live in Columbus. My brother and his family live in Columbus, and uh, it's just a great place to go back. And it's something that keeps me tied back to to my family in the in the state. So you you said something before we came on that you know I'm just a football guy. I wouldn't know this.
0: You said Ohio State is great in astronomy. Oh, yeah. In, like, you, again, you work there. Hey, good for Ohio State, right? That's a pretty cool thing to be great at, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, Ohio State's, I think, world-class in, in astronomy, a really amazing department, a bunch of great people, great students, great faculty, all that stuff. Um, uh, does a lot of great work. And you know, I was saying before that if you were do going to do some kind of contest about which university had the best joint astronomy and football program, I think Ohio State wins that. By a mile, okay. Wow, pretty good. That's a pretty good thing. I like that joint.
0: I don't know that we would be qualified here at Buckeye Talk to do <laughs> the football astronomy rankings, but you never know. Sometimes you get into the off and you're looking for content, so we may <laughs> have to do that, um, James. So tell us where you are now and what you are doing now, and then we will get into your expertise. But you are a professor. Tell us where you are and and what you teach.
2: So I am at the University of California, Irvine. So that's the place that Michael Drake was the chancellor here before he went to Ohio State to be the president. Um, I'm a professor of physics and astronomy, and I'm also the dean of the School of Physical Sciences. Uh, And so my research is in how galaxies form, um, how we go from the Big Bang very early on in the universe to sort of figure out how everything exists around us today.
0: Okay. So you and I, I think we started talking about the, wasn't it photos from the Hubble telescope, like another round of like awesome stuff. And I was like, Oh, look at this. Everybody was freaking out. And you were like, well, you know, (laughs) I kind of know about this kind of stuff. Um,
2: yeah. So, so, you know, we have this big NASA has launched, recently launched this new telescope. That's actually the successor of Hubble called the James Webb space telescope. And that was launched on Christmas day. Um, and that that has kind of revolutionized everything. And so I am the I'm the former chair of the user committee for that telescope. So I know a fair amount about it. I'm still on the user committee, but I don't have to chair it anymore. And I think we were talking about, you know, you had you mentioned on a podcast how cool this new all these new pictures were. And that's yeah. that's kind of what got started on it.
0: Okay. Okay. So you you're you're taking pictures of space. Yeah, I I called you a space scientist. Maybe I'll just call you a space photographer. You're a space (laughs) photographer. So we're talking about these cool pictures. When you get in, James, to a subject like this, is there a part of your brain that you wake up? Do you potentially wake up in the morning and ever think to yourself, I wonder if it's possible that we'll discover something today that changes how humans think about the universe forever? Like, is that, anywhere in your mind like you're eating you're making your bacon i assume you have bacon for breakfast every day bacon and eggs and a big party (laughs) breakfast a croissant you have some muffins you go into the office and you think maybe something will happen today that will change the face of humanity i don't think that when i do this podcast that's not how i wake up when i eat my bacon is that in your head or am i making too
2: much of space photography i mean i It's somewhere deep in there, right? That's kind of why you do it. You do it because you're hoping you're going to discover something kind of amazing that will change the way we sort of think about ourselves and the world. And that's somewhere deep in there. That's what drives you to do it. I think day to day, what you're thinking about is how am I going to get this program to work? Or this is, you know, like anybody else, you're checking your email and trying to squeeze the meetings in or or do the work. But deep down in there, that's why you do it. And, you know, some of the first pictures we saw come off the telescope, kind of blew my mind for sure. So we are learning some stuff we didn't know. Okay. So why? It blew my mind because they were pretty. I don't know what I'm looking at. It's like, oh,
0: these are are cool. These are cool pictures. What was it about this web telescope that you were so intimately involved in that when you got the pictures, you thought you just said they blew your mind to some degree?
2: Why? Well, I mean, one of the things we keep doing is we're looking deeper and deeper into the universe. And one of the things that's amazing is it's like the deeper you look, you keep finding more stuff. And so one of the things that kind of blew us away is that you could look with incredible detail at stuff that was, you know, we're looking at pictures of the universe, um, you know, hundreds of millions of years after the big bang. So this is like before the earth existed, we're seeing pictures, right? Cause the, it takes light, a finite time to travel. So we're seeing this stuff and there's so much stuff out there. It's so much more complex there's more structure out there. There's more galaxies. They formed earlier than anybody was thinking. And, you know, it's that kind of stuff that kind of blows our mind.
0: So when you go through, you're saying, hey, listen, you have meetings, you have emails, you have, you have to figure out what to eat for lunch, just like the right. rest of us. But you, when you have this sort of big picture education, this big picture awareness of the universe, how does it affect how you view life? how you view our place in the cosmos, Yeah, right? Because I do think we all live on our own little boxes. And I think that often helps us get through the day. And I'm sure you do the same to some degree, but also most of us don't think about the universe or know about the universe in the
2: same way that you do. How does it affect your daily existence? I mean, I think it helps you a little bit that you have a little bit of perspective. It's like this, you think of the, the earth is this little tiny little dot right compared to sort of the vastness of the universe. And if you think about it that way, you sort of see everyone around you as kind of part of the same team. So, you know, it makes you think of the world as this globe and, you know, it also makes your problems like seem small in comparison. So it's, it's easier, I think sometimes to let stuff go, although it's easier said than done. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting, too, though, then you balance that and you sort of try to figure out, OK, then we have to find joy in things that we as humans enjoy. And it's one of the awesome things, I think, about this podcast, because you guys are all about the joy of of this sport and Ohio State and why it's cool to love it. You know, I think it kind of it's sort of full circle, like we find we find the joy in things without focusing too much, you know, as least as possible on the pain, because in the scheme of things, we're just these little, you know, these tiny little entities that don't live that long compared to the universe. So let's enjoy it while we're here and that kind of thing. So when you have this greater view of the universe, how does it
0: affect how you view it when Ohio State loses to Michigan?
2: (laughs) Uh, You know, I try to put it in perspective, you know, it's it's still, (laughs) you know, I came up during the Cooper era. So it's like, I'm not expecting us, you know, I still have, I'm not expecting us to win every time I, you know, sort of shocked when we do. So it's sort of like, oh yeah, now it's kind of back to normal. I, I, you know, I hope it's not, it doesn't, quite go that far, but I, I normalize that way more than with respect to the universe, I think.
0: I was going to say, what what has the greater effect on your view of the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry, being a space photographer or coming of age as an Ohio <laughs> State fan during the Cooper years? Both of like, ah, it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. A little both bit, both. A little bit of both. A little bit yeah. of both.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Right. right.
0: So- what is it when you are in a situation like this and you're a professor, but you're also involved with the, the web telescope, like how do you balance your teaching load versus any kind of research or, you know, looking for stuff out there? How, what, what do you, how do you balance that part of your academic life?
2: Yeah. So that, you know, the, the web stuff and the, and the stuff of the telescopes that's linked into the research. And, and I have, you know, fortunate to have grad students here that I get to work with um and other people on my research team so they kind of help me do that and then yeah and then you teach and you try to bring some of that stuff into the classroom where you try to say hey here's some cool things that are happening today um when you get a chance to interact with students and all that but it's a challenge it's like everybody you know you're you're sort of trying to you know if you're a little bit like me you like so many things you enjoy so many different things that it's all about trying to figure out where i'm going to spend my time and not spending my time uh, yeah so it's a b- little bit of a balance yeah okay I probably it's probably the thing, right? You're at a cocktail party, you're just hanging out
0: and oh, you're a space scientist, space photographer. Let me ask you. I waited ten minutes. I'm a professional podcast host. I waited ten minutes. James, is there life out there somewhere? Is it out there? What do you think?
2: Well, you know, I think the universe is really big. So it would be weird if there wasn't life. And, you know, when you say life, I think a lot of people are thinking, you know, intelligent life like aliens or or, you know, ET or something like that. You know, that's the really hard question. Is there other stuff out there that's smart? I think we're, I would say the chances are basically a hundred percent. there's simple life. You know, this, on this planet, we had simple life within, as soon as the earth had cooled down enough that there was liquid water, we had life. It was like that. And so it, we expect that it to be fairly common. If you have liquid water, you probably had life out there and there's So we probably expect it. The real trick is like, what's up with the sort of smart life that can send signals or fly spaceships or whatever. And that was one where we just don't know. Um, I think we will probably be able to look very carefully for maybe, maybe simple life sometime in the next 20 years. We might be able to look for evidence of it either in the solar system or on the planets orbiting distant stars intelligent life thing is really hard. Um, and you know, we, despite what you might have heard, we, we have not been visited as far as we know.
0: <laughs> they weren't, and, they weren't in the balloons over Montana. That wasn't aliens think, that we yeah, shot down. Know. No. Oh, okay.
2: Yeah. I don't think so. Uh, so, so, you know, I mean, that's the question. So what I say, I say it's I think, so I guess my answer is simple life. If I had to guess is almost certain intelligent life may be rare, may be rare in the universe so we that means we have more responsibility to to do right we might be the smartest things around for at least in this part of the galaxy uh-oh whoops
0: <laughs> yeah. uh okay hey everybody so first of all you know there was like the part of like hey we're we're just a little dot of something much bigger let that influence your life but also now you've given us the burden of we're the smartest we've got yeah we've got to take care of the whole universe we're the smartest ones We're spending our time on a podcast. So, (laughs) so, so, so James, the, the thing that I am, I am fascinated by this because we do it. We all do it in our own lives. We do it on this podcast, every meeting that we're in and we talk about how we cover Ohio state football. And should we do more videos? Should we do more podcasts? Should we write more stories? Should we write longer stories or shorter stories? Should we do more text? It's just about priorities. We all have a finite amount of time. We all have a finite amount of resources. It's about priorities. The priorities of the human race, of Americans, of the US government. Should we be prioritizing space exploration, space study? Whatever you want to say, whether it's looking at stuff or shooting stuff out there, sending people out there, should we do more than we do? Because there's a part of me that thinks, okay step one, feed everybody, right? Step two, shoot stuff into space. And if I was in charge of stuff, that might be the two things that I would spend money on. What do you think about our
2: efforts in space exploration right now? I mean, that's a that's a deep question. That's an important question. I guess the way I think about it is, you know, on one hand, you might think, what are you doing spending money and time and energy shooting stuff into space when there are all these problems here on Earth and suffering that we're trying to you know, fix? And I get that side of the argument. There's another piece of it that's, I think, very aspirational about the human race. Like we're, we actually are a really smart species that can do amazing things. And things like the Webb telescope are, is like sort of the pinnacle of what you can do. And that telescope launched after a couple of years that were pretty hard on a lot of people. And yet it gave us something to kind of rally around and say, wow, we can still do amazing things. And this is incredible that we were able to do this. Um, and I think what that does, that's aspirational. You know, a lot of time I hear from kids all the time, you know, see that they're inspired to like go into science or learn new stuff. And whether or not they become astronomers or space scientists or whatever, maybe they're engaged a little bit more. They learn a bit more and then maybe they go off and cure cancer in 20 years just because they were inspired to learn. So I think this, this thing of what is it we're doing? You know, what are we even trying? You know, learning about the universe is an amazing thing we can do as a species. And we have some, I think, responsibility to do that because we're good at it. And it's awesome. We learn awesome stuff and it gives us deep perspective, philosophical depth, all that kind of stuff. So it's a great thing that we can do. And then there's this aspirational piece of it. And finally, you know, we have to invent new things to do this kind of stuff. And a lot, you know, as you probably know, you know, a lot of the computer revolution we saw uh, came about because of the, the Apollo program. You know, why did we go to the moon? You know, I don't know, because it's there and it's hard and everything Kennedy said. We did it. But in the process, we built microchips that then powered, you know, a whole revolution in technology and all kinds of other stuff. So there's a lot of, you know, so I think it's important that we do it. I think we should continue to try to do bigger and bolder things, Uh for all of those reasons, while, of course, not forgetting that we gotta, we've got we got to feed people and, and take care of people here on the planet.
0: Did you watch uh, For All Mankind on Apple yeah, I'm, TV? Yeah, I'm a little bit
2: into it. I actually, I found out about it because you guys talked about it, I think, on What You're Watching. And uh, yeah. I did start watching it because of that. It's great. I, r- I really like it.
0: Yeah. So it's one of those things. Sometimes I don't love sports movies because I do sports all day. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't. I like sports, but sometimes I don't want like the fictionalized representation of sports because I get real sports all the time. And then I know when they're screwing stuff up. You know, Wesley Snipes was a left-handed catcher in that movie with Robert De Niro. And I was like, I couldn't get my head around it. There's no left-handed catchers. What are you doing? I don't want to watch this movie. So sometimes I don't want to watch sports movies. Do you want to watch space movies? Or are you like, oh, God, these guys, they're screwing everything up. Do you want to watch For All Mankind? Or are you just going to watch this whole thing and be like, wrong, wrong, wrong?
2: For all mankind is exactly the kind of thing that I do like because there's all kinds of other stuff going on that's not just about the science. I will yeah. say that there are a lot of movies that people think I'm gonna, you know, they think I'm gonna love, and I, it just bugs me in exactly the same way. They just get enough stuff wrong that I just can't take it. Uh, so yeah. it's a mix, and but for all mankind is one that I really like. It's cool. Okay, yeah. it is. I think it's excellent. They're not; they're,
0: they're waiting. I think they're making the new series, the new season. I can't wait for the new season to come out. So, one of the things in there, the whole thing about that, it's not spoilers, is the, the space race continues, and there is a lot of activity around the space race between the Soviet Union and the United States. Should we go back to the moon? Like Ohio, man, Ohio is like the moon place. We're like the we're the moon capital of of the United States. Should should we as a country? Go back to the moon for some reason, or is it like that's ah, a big rock? We've been there, done that. Let's go do something
2: else. I mean, that's a that's a question a lot of people are talking about. There's definitely reasons to go back for the moon, to the moon. Um, there's really cool science we actually want to understand a little bit more about how the moon even formed. There's you know interesting stuff about the structure of the moon, and you can do scientific experiments from the moon that you actually can't do from Earth because there's no atmosphere and stuff like that. So there's reasons to go back, and you know, part of me just sort of thinks, you know, the only footage we have of people walking on the moon was pretty crappy. Mm. And imagine HD, you know, incredible footage of people on the moon doing stuff. And that kind of you go back to sort of the inspirational aspect of all this. You know, I there's a there's a lot of cool things to think about, and then and then again, I think there's aspects of Figuring out how to do it close by on the moon, landing and then launching from the moon. As we, If we think about we, if we want to go to Mars or to some other place in the solar system, the moon is a great place to train. I mean, Mars is really far away. It's a very, very harsh environment. And so learning how to do some stuff a little bit more locally on the moon might make a lot of sense if we sort of have aspirations to go to other planets or moons or whatever. And so then the
0: next step is we go to the moon, we train. Do you think we should be trying to go to Mars? Is that something that should
2: be high on the list of human aspiration? I think it's up there. I don't know if it's in my book. I, I don't think it's actually number one. I think there's more interesting stuff scientifically to think about doing. And, you know, the thing to keep in mind about Mars is I think some people think we're going to go and just kind of live there, you know, colonize it or something. Mars is a pretty hostile place. It's really, really cold. There's no water. There's no atmosphere. I mean, it it would be, it would make, you know, like Antarctica seem like, you know, Hawaii, right? I mean, it's just, it's a rough place. So I, I think of it more of sort of scientific questions. And I think that there's interesting sort of moons like Europa, where we know there's water, could be very interesting. Just look, you know, you asked me about life, right? That's the thing everybody's interested in we want to learn about life. We could do a little bit on Mars, but there's sort of other places in the solar system that personally, I think might be more interesting to go to. Although, you know, some of my friends who, who care about Mars won't, won't like me saying that. Is there any, I don't want to say
0: dispute or rivalry in the scientific community, but, but two sides of things. Are there go there people and look at stuff people? Because yeah. a telescope That's not a go there thing, but man, we're getting awesome pictures and you can really learn things versus, well, I don't know. Why do we got to send a guy there to go to Mars to stand there? Who cares? We can see, put the money into looking. Is that a, is that a debate?
2: There's definitely a debate there. And there's, you know, we have rovers on Mars and we've mapped that planet quite well. And so there are people who, if they're, if they're interested in just sort of pure science, there are so many things you can do robotically that you don't need a person for. So there's that whole aspect, but you know, I understand also sort of the romance and aspiration of sending people places because that's just a different level, you know? And, um, so I'm a little bit on sort of both sides them, but you definitely hear a lot of scientists who think let's just look and figure out and do things robotically because you don't really need people there to do the discovering. Um, you know, I'm of mixed I, I sort of, a, I, I have kind of a, I, I sort of feel like we should maybe do a little bit of both. Yeah.
0: You know, I'm anti robot, but if like send a robot in <laughs> a rocket to go to Mars, that seems maybe like a good use of a robot. I just don't want a robot serving me my coffee.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm with you.
0: <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. No, this whole Chat GPT thing—they're going to have robots writing stories and hosting podcasts. It's like, no, I'm not. I will fight. There will never be. I vow this. A robot will never host Buckeye Talk, <laughs> James. You are talking about the leap, right? The Hubble Telescope and then the Webb Telescope is the next evolution past that. Yeah. Could you? How would you put into words how where we are versus where we can get with these telescopes and our ability to see deep into space to find out more about the universe by looking? Are we pretty far advanced there, or are you like, oh my gosh, waiting? Wait until fifty years from now; you won't even believe it.
2: Yeah, I mean it's kind of cool because it's a little bit of both, right? Because if you compare it to the first telescopes to what Hubble did, it was like you know going; it's like you know f- from black and white to color, right? And we Webb is like another big jump. So it's still amazing where we are, but it, we're not at the end of the road. So there's sort of plans right now. The next big mission is called the Habitable Worlds Observatory, and we hope that that will be launched you know, sometime in the next decades. Um, and it, it is really a life machine. So it's being built to effectively look for signatures of life on other planets in a way that even web can't do. And so, you know, that's sort of on the horizon. So we're going to learn a lot from web over the next, you know, X years. And then there will probably be another major leap in discovery after that.
0: Wow. So we'll shoot that that next thing, the habitable thing. We're going to shoot that up there. Two and then it'll look around
2: yeah that's the plan i mean it's not built yet so the idea now is it's going to take years to build and plan and create that technology that that doesn't exist yet but their aspirations and planning for it right now so that's going to happen but in the but in the meantime we're going to keep learning new stuff with, from web it's going to be up there and every year we're going to learn new stuff from it for the next you know i'd say 20 years i, I am here to be the dumb guy because the thing
0: that i have learned is that sometimes you just throw yourself on the mercy of people that you're interviewing and your dumb question hopefully can elicit information that people are too afraid to ask. And I'm I, I'm, I'm done trying to prove that I'm smart. Everybody knows the deal. So I'm going to ask a dumb guy question. You have this web telescope. How do you get the information? Can, can, like Do you guys just log on and look at stuff? Are there reports sent mm-hmm. back? Can, who has access to it? How do you get it?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. That's not a dumb question. So, um, you know, the, you know, first of all, the, the data is collected on the telescope, and then it's effectively beamed down with radio signals to the Earth, which is a complicated process, and that stuff is stored. the The observations are collected and managed at a place called Space Telescope Science Institute in Baltimore, and the data are public in principle. So, in principle, oh. any American... Once the data, well, the data aren't public immediately, but they eventually become public. And then any anybody actually can go and download it and look at it. But the, the, the astronomers who basically propose to look at XYZ in the sky, they get access to that data first. So they get the first crack at it to write the first paper um, to get their name on that scientific discovery. But eventually all the data become public. And that's why all the pictures that are there you, you know, if you just Google like James Webb telescope pictures or images, all that stuff's free. NASA gives it to everybody free and you can download and look at them and do whatever you want to with them. It's those process pictures. You know, in principle, those are made from the data, but those are the best way to access it. So if anybody you know listening or if you want to look at it, just go to Google and type James Webb Space Telescope images and you can get anything that's been done so far will be will be up there and and you can start looking at it.
0: Huh. Hey, so how come it's not called the James Bullet telescope it's a James <laughs> Webb? Come on, man. You're involved. Get your name on the thing, right? What?
2: Yeah, it didn't work for me. There's, I'll try next time. You
0: know. Next time.
2: Yeah. 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 Doug, you can um, get me
0: yeah, it's like, hey, I mean, listen, man, I was on Buckeye Talk. Could we named the next telescope after <laughs> me.
2: Deal. I was on Buckeye Talk. So,
0: what are we doing here? <laughs> so, why did you get into this? Are you just, I mean, are you one of these? You're a kid looking up at the stars and say, "I want to do this." How did you decide to do this with your life?
2: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I've always kind of liked this stuff, and I remember I really like Carl Sagan Cosmos when I was a kid. Really liked that. I remember one time my dad brought home a telescope from some guy that he knew at work and i looked up and was kind of mesmerized so i remember there are these like things i remember as a kid but i remember being like a senior in high school and reading you know scientific american and just thinking because i always figured well maybe i'll just be an engineer you know i was pretty good at math but i never really thought this was even a job or how do you even do this and at some point i just you know i want to just go all in and try to do this and that's what i did i ended up being good enough at it that i could stay in it and make a living doing it. So it's it's awesome. Wow.
0: So you said Ohio State's good at this. You're at California Irvine. They're good at it. What does a university need to be good at astronomy? Do you just decide we're going to emphasize this and prioritize it? Do you need like a good telescope? How do you be yeah. good at it?
2: A little bit of both. You have to prioritize it and then you have to have a good telescope. So at it, it, University of California, we have access to these great ground-based telescopes called the Keck Telescopes that are in Hawaii. And those are the best ground-based telescopes in the world, which is one reason why being in California, University of California system is a great place to do astronomy. Ohio State similarly decided to invest in it, and they have access to really strong telescopes in Arizona and others. And they also have a bunch of people who know how to use these space telescopes really well. And they're part of large conglomerations of telescopes on the ground. So Ohio state is just strategically invested in really good people and in telescope projects, um, that, you know, that put them in a great position to be very good at astronomy.
0: Oh, wow. So let's, so listen, now that you're an official friend of Buckeye talk, if you do find like life or whatever, can you just keep it cool and break the news on here? Yeah, we'll do it. Yeah, we'll yeah, do it. Here. We'll yeah. do it on Buckeye it, talk. Yeah. We get a couple extra <laughs> listeners out of that. How do you express your fandom? James, do you I mean like do you do you are you walking around? Hey, like you're I'm I'm in physics class and I'm wearing a Buckeye sweatshirt. Like, do you try to go to games on the West Coast? Like how how is being a Buckeye fan part of your regular life out there in California?
2: So I mean there's one funny thing. There's a couple other deans here who are Michigan guys, and they give, you know, we so we we're constantly kind of like betting and nudging each other. It's been a it's been a rough couple of years for me. Um but uh yeah, I mean, whenever there's a game that's nearby, I'll go I mean, I I mean I saw the, the, the Rose Bowl Urban Myers last game. Hmm. I got to do yep. that. I would have been at the national championship for sure <laughs> had had they made it. Yep. Um, and well yeah, you know, I wear my colors. I've got I've got a flag that I put out, you know, and uh, there's a bunch of Michigan people out here, so it's very nice to sort of have the Ohio State gear out. Um, you know, I wear hats and stuff. It's a little weird because I'm on, you know, I'm sort of at a university, so I can't just be wearing Buckeye stuff all the time. It would be weird, but fortunately we don't have a football team. And normally we have a basketball team that's at a different league. Um, maybe not this year, but normally, (laughs) normally (laughs) it's kind of like that. So it doesn't really, you know, I'm not that conflicted. Um, but it's like, it's definitely part of, you know, part of how I live my life out here. It's a, it's a big part of it. Did
0: you did you wind up at the Cal-Berkeley game in 13? Did you wind your
2: way to that? I did. Oh, um, yes, I was at that game. Yeah, I was yeah. at that
0: Yeah. Because the story I always tell about that is uh, I was going to the bathroom right before kickoff, and Tom Herman, the offensive coordinator, came in. Yeah. And he was just like, I cannot believe how many Ohio State people are here. Because <laughs> it was one of those games where in California, and it was just – Scarlet everywhere. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, man, I don't know what to tell you. Like, this is the deal here. So it yeah. was like, I, I always remember that just the eye opening part of people, you know, who are still kind of getting used to the Ohio State deal. And it's sort of, they're thinking yeah. to themselves, why is more than half the stadium <laughs> on the other side of the country Ohio State fans? And I, I was just like, because they're Ohio State fans? And so you're one of them. James yeah. Tom Herman was impressed.
2: Yeah. And I you know I was at you know a less happy time was I, I saw the USC game. Uh, we got kind of obliterated. <laughs> that yeah. was a painful, painful game. I was there with a buddy of mine who's an Ohio State guy. Um, but, oh, yeah, I mean, it's just like and you get the OH and the, you know, just in California walking around. If I have an Ohio State hat on or something, it's I get it all the time. And it's awesome. yeah, it, it's you know just, what? really it's awesome.
0: I it'd be crazy. Like someday, like you're just walking around Mars and people are just wearing Ohio state gear. You're getting an OH up on some distant planet someday, James. Someday. someday. So, like, my instinct is to make like uh, space time with James, like a monthly segment on Buckeye Talk, because I could just do this all day. So, I, I don't. I am fascinated by it. I remain fascinated by it. It's a little. There, there was a time when I was like a very jacked up, like about SpaceX and that kind of thing. And like the privatization of it. And I understand it. And then it's like, Oh, the guy who's shooting rockets into space is the guy who's screwing Twitter up right now. So like that makes me less, <laughs> but it's like, I wish, I mean, I do think there are absolutely like there are ways, right. For, for private citizens yeah. with, with money to literally burn, like go burn it in space. Like, I don't know, like figure great, great. But I also think we, we should have governmental priorities you know, we, we, we don't do everything right. We don't take care of everybody as much as we should. That should be the priority. We got people here on earth we got to take care of. But sometimes I just wish the whole earth could say, like, let's not fight. And all the stuff that we're spending money on fighting each other, let's just shoot that into space. Because yeah. I just do think in the end, James, I'm just a layman. But there's it's out there. And I just, you know, for someone like me or, or our age, is like, we weren't a lot. You know, you weren't around. You weren't aware of this space race, when they're showing Neil Armstrong on TV, like, you know, we have the, the, the shuttle things yeah. when we were younger, but most of our memories of this generation, when you think about the space shuttle, you think of the two disasters, you know, it's not a yeah. positive memory. And I know they also did a lot of great things, but I would love a world where, and maybe for all mankind, like change my view on this, Where that's just like in that alternate universe they've created, just space is a part of daily life. And it's just like, oh, yeah, we have people. And I know we have people on in the International Space Station. And I know that we have those things, but it's not as front and center. And I, kn- I know we have other priorities that really matter. But, man, I think I'd love to live in a world where space was just a bigger part of the daily existence of what are the average Americans thinking about.
2: Yeah. I mean, it would be cool. And, I, you know, I think your point about, like, people not fighting because if if we did – focus on stuff out there that we all could sort of sort of see and orient towards, you know, there, it might be a better place down here. Right. And when you talk about life, like if we did find life somewhere, if we were getting signals or interacting, you got to hope that would also unite us. Right. <laughs> Cause it's like, Hey, that's, that's the aliens. Like we're actually here. Yeah. We've got all this stuff in common and you know, why are we fighting each other kind of thing? I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of naive maybe, but that there's a little bit of that. I think that's true. Yeah, and I just think we should all
0: keep this in mind during the Kyle McCord, Devin Brown quarterback battle in spring <laughs> football. Is that we all just are little specks, and we're all in this together, and right. it's about what unites us, not what divides us. Yeah, uh, James Michigan. Bullock, yeah, except for oh, yeah, well, that's still yes, yeah, whatever. Like the aliens probably don't like Michigan either, right? So, um, James Bullock, I I'm fascinated by it. It's a it's a fascinating thing you've chosen to do with your life. And we're so humbled that you make Buckeye Talk a little part of your week uh, in between looking at space. So um uh, thanks so much for being a listener and thanks so much for sharing your knowledge here on Buckeye Talk.
2: Absolutely, Doug. My pleasure. Love what you guys do. It's just awesome.
0: And thanks to James for that. So that will do it for this edition of Buckeye Talk. We'll get back to sports when we get back uh, on this podcast tomorrow. But for now, thanks as always to you guys for listening Make sure you're reading our sport. We don't write about space. We don't write about acting. We just talk about it every now and then. You can read our stuff at cleveland.com slash OSU. Make sure you're subscribed to Buckeye Talk and the College Football Survivor Show twice a week. Shahan J. Haraja and I, our first episode this week, we talked about the proposed changes to college football around some clock issues. Do they maybe want to try to shorten these games? Are the games too long? He and I talked about that, and then talked about some other things. Maybe we would change about games, uh, some penalties. I have a proposal about naming stuff. I have a lot of crazy ideas. So uh, that's the the uh, Survivor Show that's out so far this week. Sort of talking about changes that we would maybe make to Saturday game days. For now, for James and Otis, so grateful for their time. Grateful to you guys for listening. I'm Doug Maurice. and that was Buckeye Talk.